Authors on the Air. Welcome to Authors on the Air. I'm Terry Shepard. Our Franklin James grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, graduated from UC Berkeley, and flourished in a career of public policy and political advocacy. In 2013, the first book in her five-star Hollis Morgan series, The Fallen Angel Book Club, was published by Camel Press. And then in 2019, she launched the Remy Lowe Bishop series with another hit, The Appraiser. She launches a new series featuring protagonist Joanna Hudson with the debut this month of The Inheritance. Beyond her prolific output as an author, Ray James sits on the board of BoucherCon, Capital Crimes, a Sacramento chapter of Sisters in Crime, and is a member of the Mystery Writers of America and Northern California Publishers and Authors. The Inheritance is a tale of a 30-year-old genealogist forced to face the pain of her own past while discovering that her talents can be used to solve more than her clients' ancestor family lines, including blackmail and murder. Joanna Hudson discovers that the intersection of unintended consequences and murder is unavoidable, and her determination to find an heir puts her in the path of a killer. Of course it does. <laughs> Who is just as determined to stop her. Ray James, welcome to Authors on the Air. Thank you, Terry. It's so good to be here. You have written seven books. This will be your eighth. How'd you get started in writing? It's like, when did I get started in reading? Uh, I actually started writing when I was eight years old. So it's taken me a while to get published. Um, my girlfriend and I would sit up in the attic. She had this great attic and we would write tales of gypsies and swashbuckling pirates and everything we didn't know a thing about and on binder paper and stick it in, in folders and keep writing stories. And I, at the same time, I was a reader. I was a reader. I never played with dolls. I only read, which was very frustrating for my parents who thought I should have more dolls. But anyway, and uh, I guess it was somewhere in high school and I had this great English teacher, Sister Mary Bernard Catherine, and she taught me the love of writing and the, uh, I suppose it's the romance of words. I was a linguist. I loved words and what they meant and what they didn't mean. And we had this great book in, in school, I can see it today, called Word Wealth. And it was taking uh, uh, the roots of words, where they be they Latin or uh, Anglo or whatever, and how one leads to the other, and they just how our language evolved. And I think I was the only one in class that enjoyed the book. Uh, well, I think it was called uh, The History of the Dictionary. I found that book fascinating. <laughs> and everyone was like, what? <laughs> you were born to be a writer. There's no doubt about it. I was it. born to be a writer. I was born to be a writer. What kind of stuff did you read as a young girl? Nancy Drew, of course. Um, Clara Barton, student nurse. I'm taking these off the top of my head. I can't think, I, I can't believe I remember them. Um, the one, uh, the, uh, the Arabian Nights, Grim Fairy Tales, uh, those, you know, that that kind of occupied my life. And anything I could get off a shelf, I went straight from school to the library. They had this great children's section, and I, I read there. And what did you major in in college? 
I majored in economics and industrial psychology. <laughs> I had to have a job. I had to get a job. See, this is this is what happens, right? We go into college thinking that we need to follow the the that that was the dolls that your parents wanted you to have. You finally exactly. got them. <laughs> And they, yeah, they were very happy to see that, oh, she is going to be normal. Uh, and I think uh, in graduate school, I went into public policy, and that really was the turning point for me. You know, I had a great professor at Berkeley. It's amazing how that one teacher can mm-hmm. change the destiny of our lives. Tell me more about this Catholic school teacher <laughs> that you had. Mr. Bernie Bernie Catherine? Yeah. Uh, uh, all my life, I went to uh, grade school. Um, they didn't have junior high in Catholic school. You went straight from grade school to high school. And so that was 12 years. And then my parents wanted me to go to college. Is there a problem with going not going to Catholic college? It's because you can't, you're not socialized at all? Because it was all girls. And I was totally nervous when I got to, with boys. But my parents, who were very... We, we uh, I want to say, I guess, unknowing, uh, didn't realize that I refused to go to Dominican College of San Rafael. No, no fault of the Dominican College. Uh, but uh, they wanted me, I wanted to go to the East Coast. I wanted to go to um, college on the East Coast. And they said, I'm, you're absolutely not leaving home. Uh, you, you have to go to school here. And I said, well, the compromise was to go to Berkeley. I said, boy, did we not know what was going on in Berkeley? <laughs> I was born and raised in Oakland, but uh, but Berkeley, my parents had no clue about the you know the seventies in Berkeley. Oh, were you just, were there in the seventies, so that was a yeah. cataclysmic change time. Lots, uh, absolutely. Of, yeah. And so I would go there, and even in my, I can remember the big thing in in our high school was to change your uniform, put your Jacket on backwards, roll up your skirt, unbutton the top button on your blouse, <laughs> and get on the bus and go to Berkeley. You know, <laughs> take the forty-three local to Berkeley. You moved from this very regimented lifestyle into a place where you were encouraged to go out and speak your mind, protest, do all that kind and, of stuff. So it was an awakening of sorts, huh? Absolutely. I was the only one who stood up when they called. They'd say they, I would stand because that's how we were taught in school to stand up when you're called on. Well, you don't do that at Berkeley. <laughs> and they say, oh, we know where you came from. You know, uh, so uh, it took me a minute to get used to that. Plus, it was a, co- a combination of nervous, uh, I guess, being a nervous wreck, throwing up and being fascinated with the most intellectual minds in the world. I I was really taken back by Berkeley. It, it was just this, the the uh, the bowl of knowledge was really I assumed I was it was meant for me. I loved it. I loved the library at Berkeley. Uh, and I loved just the whole idea of a new that new whole new world opened up. How long did the anxiety last? I was nervous I would say for the first six or seven months. <laughs> upset stomachs and shaking, but eventually uh, you, you get into it. And uh, one thing I will say this about Sister Bernard Catherine, she taught us curiosity, how to be curious. If nothing else, be curious. Don't accept anything for, as face value. And also there, if there's one side, there's gotta be another side. 
And so she taught us that. And that had helped me tremendously by the time I got to Berkeley. One year with all these great minds, but also I knew how to study. I knew how to outline. I knew how to do research. That's what I learned in high school. So as I was getting sick and throwing up, at least I could turn in my term papers and and do my tests. Public policy writing is a little bit different than fiction. I could write any law you want. It's um, at the, I fell in love with law and I fell in love with uh, the, again, the use of language when you're developing legislation or or reading contracts and in public policy, which is obviously had to do with public service and government. I was, I, uh, my, one of my first jobs is drafting those obtuse descriptions in your voters pamphlet. You know, the ones where you're going, so is this a good thing or a bad thing? You know, (laughs) (laughs) but with the lawyers breathing down my neck, I would have to write those or I write legislation for the city or the county. It just depended on the jurisdiction. And uh, and then after a while, um, I used to have to go testify in Washington or in Sacramento before in hearings to say, this is why we, you know, I was at that time representing the city of Los Angeles. And saying this is why we need this bill. This is why we need this to happen. These, this is the statistics, and uh, yeah, it was fascinating. Our Franklin James is our guest. The latest is the inheritance. She's on the web at rfranklinjames.com. When did you decide that you wanted to write fiction? Um, I was in college, and I had read something. We had torn apart J.D. Salinger, I think, <laughs> but. Uh, I knew I knew I wanted to write, and there was this story I had in my head uh, that's still in the bottom drawer somewhere. Uh, it's like 800 pages, <laughs> uh, and I just wanted to write. And I said I could. I wanted to write what I read. I I said to myself I could write that. I could write that, or this story would be better. I could write that, and that's how I got started. How do you decide what you want to write about? My favorite pastime, other than reading, is eavesdropping. And so typically, I find some of my best leads is listening to other people talk, you know, just listening to conversations or an idea will pop in out out from the news or wherever, and I I take it as a jumping off point. Take us through Inheritance. Give us the uh, elevator pitch for those that will be buying that book when it comes out on the 14th of April? Well, my shortest pitch is about the inheritance is that, uh, as you said, the intersection, but it's a story about family. It's a story about money. It's a story about greed. And it's a story about murder. It has all those elements in there. And the plot line is a genealogist who discovers that there are a lot of reasons why people want to know their ancestry. Very few, not always, does it have to do with finding their lineage. And, and it was that aspect I was eavesdropping when I heard this woman say that she was going to um, apply or uh, subscribe for an annuity, but you had to show that your ancestors came from this little town in Virginia. And they had, and they would give you like some humongous percentage on on your uh, portfolio if you could prove that. 
I said, wow, I never would have thought that that would have been a reason to do, you know, to do genealogy, to show that where everybody came from. I go like, that's pretty good. And of course, you know, if you're a mystery writer, you always think, well, what, how can I use that for evil and bad? <laughs> so at that point, I said, hmm, I think genealogy could be used just as well for finding a paternity, you know, for paternity suits, as well as blackmail, as well as missing persons. And so the inheritance was born. <laughs> how do you create your protagonists? My first series was uh, Hollis Morgan, and Hollis had issues. Um, she was an ex-con and a white-collar felon. But uh, Joanna is more everyday person. You know, she's um, hasn't done anything particularly exciting in her life. She's just been getting along, uh, and everything goes well until her husband and, and daughter are killed in a car crash. And she basically develops PTSD in any other sense of the word. It's PTSD. And she has these flashbacks. She doesn't recognize it as that, however. When the reader reads, it's just as if um, she has a moment and you pause. And then after a while, you realize it's the same thing that triggers her. It's the same kind of thing that's a trigger. She doesn't realize it's a trigger. And so, um, and to her, um, I don't, it's not her failing as much as it is to her uh, reveal. She comes to understand this, not completely in book one, um, but definitely by book two. And that's the one that I'm working on even as we speak. Um, How far are you into book two right now? I write like this, Terry. Um, I write to the, to the halfway point and then I stop and I write the end. Okay, I have an outline that I follow pretty not, it's just there in case I get writer's block. I don't always look at it, but at least I know where I think I'm going. I write to about what I think is halfway. And then I say, okay, write the end. And then I write like the epilogue and the chapter before that, and then the chapter before that. And then I go back and I start planning my clues and my leads in the, in the beginning so that I know how to get there. It, I know what it takes to get to this end that I just wrote. And so right now, to answer your question, I'm in the middle. <laughs> the beginning, halfway is done. The ending is done. So I guess I'm like two, two thirds, three fourths. <laughs> That's what I'm writing now. What happens when you get your first draft? Then what do you do? Oh, I start over. I, I first of all, I'm, I had to, it took me a while to go from pen to laptop. That yeah, because I was usually handwriting, and then. I noticed that when I, the printed word to me works better for editing than doing it on online. So once I get my first draft done, I have, I take it to the printer to give me those junk pages. And I just start at the beginning and then start editing, you know, and um, it hopefully comes out a lot better. I'm, I'm usually, I can usually get done by, by my fourth draft. It's usually when I start to submit to my publisher. On average, how long does it take you from ideation till that point where you're ready to submit? How many months? Oh, it just it varies by book. I was finishing up the appraiser and, um, and I thought I was going to make, that was Remy Lowe Bishop. I had her in my head and I was waiting to hear back from my, my copy editor from my publishing house and to, so I could start 
I, while I was thinking through book two. It was Christmas, and all of a sudden, I heard this conversation about this annuity. <laughs> I put down the second book of, of The Appraiser, and I wrote The Inheritance in about six months, start to finish, beginning straight to the publisher. It, it came so easy. The story came so easy. Joanna came so easily to me. And then my publisher said, oh, right. Uh, what about the uh, book two for Remy <laughs> I said, hold that thought. I just want to do book two for the inheritance. And then I'll go back to Remy Love. So I would say to you, six months is the quickest I've ever done a book. Usually nine or 10 months. R. Franklin James is our guest. The Inheritance is the book we're talking about. And her website is rfranklinjames.com. Let's tear apart those words. I know you as Ray James. What does Franklin yes. stand for? That's my maiden name. My agent at the time told me that men would not buy books, written mystery books written by women. And that she suggested that I follow P.D. James and J.B. Robb and all the other uh, women who had used their initials and do the same. And so I did. I, you know, dropped my first name, even though it's spelled R-A-E, and went with R. Franklin James. Uh, a gentleman came up to me at a book signing once, and he said, you know, I didn't know I was reading, which I think was a compliment. Uh, he goes, I know, you know, I didn't know I was reading a book by a woman that was written by a woman. And I said, oh, he goes, I really enjoyed the book. I didn't know it was written by a woman. That's what it was. Cause it was like a half compliment. I go like, oh, okay. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you I think. <laughs> Do you find that you have perhaps a deeper understanding than the average person about the human condition <laughs> and about diversity because you've gotten inside the heads of so many of these characters? I like to think that I avoid stereotypes. And I like to think that people are the same under the skin. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that when I describe myself, I describe myself as a, um, I'm first female, then I'm black, and then I'm a writer. And that's your Maslow hierarchy of definition. That's my, my Maslow hierarchy <laughs> on the scale. Right. Yeah. And so um, I, I, I don't know if I'm, I try to be open. That's all I can say. I guess I just try to say everybody, I give everybody the benefit of a doubt, you know, no matter who they are, what they are. Ray James is our guest. The inheritance yeah. is the book and uh, the website. Don't forget this rfranklinjames.com. And that's the, the name that she uses and that she has written seven books under. Have you researched your own genealogy? Uh -huh. I tried. <laughs> My family's totally, totally uncommunicative. Uh, I have tried. I've gotten back, I think, to like the early 1800s on my mother's side and about the mid 1800s because slave that's that slavery thing kicks in right um although my on my mother's side they were free people i still trying to figure out free from where mm -hmm. but uh it was it's interesting and uh, it's uh in looking at old death certificates which gives you a lot of information they tells you why they died and i have an ancestor who died from um uh, she died from grieving 
She was 96 years old and her son was 54 and he died before he, she did. And she died from grieving. And I thought that was, wow, that was such a tight, on the, on the death certificate, you know. And uh, so that, that uh, you can see how my interest gets piqued. And it is, uh, uh, it has taken me down a road. But if I go down that road, I would never write because I can tell you that I did, I signed on Ancestry.com and it takes all your time. I love the fact that you're doing this with Joanna because I just see this is a book series that could go on forever. Yes, I thought so too. I think so too. And wait till you read The Choice, that's book two. Uh, uh, and I, I said, oh yeah, I've got her now. I, it's like Collis Morgan, I've nailed this one. I've got this one. And so, um, and you know this too, when you write, it's like it's in your head and you're thinking you're thinking through the scene and how it's going to finish and how what's what can happen. And you're just staring off into space because you're not on the earth anymore. You're in you're in the writing world. And uh, that so many times, especially in this book, I catch myself there saying, oh, oh, hi, Mr. Mailman person. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I love to write. What does it feel like when you're in that zone? Does it feel like stuff comes through you like John Lennon says, or do you feel like it's yeah. your ideas that are just happening? No, and stuff comes through me. I can remember sitting up in that. I know how he died. That's what I said to myself. I woke up, sat up and I said, I know how he did it. And that was, wow, great. <laughs> you know? So then do you run immediately to your. Uh, no, I do write it down. Yeah. I do. I have a pad by my bed and I just write down keywords say, you know, with the knife in the parlor with Dr. Brown. You can read your handwriting in the morning. Yeah, well, no. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I get a rough idea. Have you ever had writer's block? No. And that's because I outline. Uh, because I usually, even if I don't follow it, that's what I fall back on. But I say, well, what did I think of when I started this book? What was I thinking when I started this book? So I'll go back to the outline. On but that gap I told you about where you write the first half, I write the first half and then I go to the end, that ends it for about, there's, I'm done. You know, I'm just trying to get, I'm hooking up puzzle pieces now. The plot's done. I'm more of a, someone says, do you write characters or storylines? And I guess I'm more of a storyline and my characters just fall right in. I get them to fall right into to build my story. And um, I remember my critique group once advised, Ray, you need to toss away this character. He's a, he's a throwaway character you're giving him. And I go like, no, nah, I kind of, I said, I kind of like him. I kind of hung with him. And so he was in book two, I believe. And then uh, my copy editor said, oh, you've got to keep him. And then, and he became a main character. He became a main character. And it's just because I knew him. I knew where he was going. He had a long way to go, but I knew where he was going. And she, and I think uh, this one woman wrote me from Iowa, somewhere in the middle, was saying how she and her and her book group were had had really were fans of his. And so, <laughs> and I she said we really like him. We know we can see him go. We know what he's going to do next. You know. And they they were following him more than my protagonist. I go like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's a scary thing when that happens. <laughs> yeah, but it's a 
also a compliment because it means that they, he was real to them. And I felt very good about that. Like you get some, and I'm sure you do some strange fan emails, you know, um, I go like, really, this one woman argued with me about who killed this person. I'm going, no, he really did kill her. Yeah, it was him. She goes, no, no. I laid out all the clues. I, she goes, I'm sure it was him. I go like, no, no, it was, it was him. <laughs> <laughs> I think she needs to be a writer. I think she needs a psychiatrist. So you've created Hollis Morgan, Remy Lowe, Bishop, Joanna Hudson. When do you decide that you want to bring a new star into the picture? I knew when, when Hollis was done. I don't like to watch serials on TV even where it's just the same plot over and over and over, like Law and Order, it's over and you know what it's going to be, you know? And so I knew Hollis had, had come to her in, that she'd come to her full arc. And as much as I loved her, I had to say goodbye. It took me almost a year to recuperate to get her out of my head uh, to start Remy Lowe. And Remy Lowe was such a different character that that helped. And with Remy Lowe, I, I think I told you, I was just waiting here for my copywriter and I, and I stumbled onto Joanna. And so I see uh, Joanna going a long way. The book is Inheritance. Ray James is our guest. Rfranklinjames.com is the website. What do your five-star reviewers think is so great about you and your writing? They say the unpredictable hooks. I, how did, I'm trying to think of one group. They said unpredictable. It was unpredictable, but believable hooks or something like that, which made me feel great. You know, because I, I like turning pages on a book. I like to not be able to put it down because I have to find out what happens next. And I want my books to be written like that. I want to write like I, what I like to read. And I like hooks and cliffhangers and things that keep you turning the page. Who are you reading right now? Well, I'm reading Chris Howdy's uh, Savage Road. I read, um, I'm looking over here on my bookshelf, you can't see me, Deep State. I love Louise Penny. I'm waiting for her next book. And I love Lori King. I'm waiting for her book. <laughs> so uh, those, those are the variety of people. And then um, I just finished uh, Tracy Clark's I have a couple of hers and um, oh, and three hours in Paris. See, I read all over the place. I read everything. And why did you pick the genre that you picked? I like puzzles. I like, you know, I'm, I'm your uh, words with friends type of person. Uh, I like uh, riddles, things like that. And so the mystery genre brings, makes that possible. And with my other favorite hobby words, and so I get to have both and storytelling. Back in the days before pandemic, when you were doing readings at bookstores, did you find that your audience had a different interpretation based on how you read it? Um, I, when I was invited to someone's, usually it's a book group, and invited into someone's home, um, they were different people. Most, some of them were, I think, professional <laughs> Mystery readers, you know, some were more uh, not so much any good fiction. You were just reading fiction. And so it differed. The mystery readers would, would nail you. You know, they know those clues. They know, you know, uh, dialogue. 
um, they know uh, what I do. I also write my, and all my books, regardless of protagonists are in the Bay area. You know, I, I always, I, t- I twist the streets around and you're going to uh, real quick, funny story before I finish that thought. I have one street in Berkeley. It's called fourth street, fourth street in Berkeley. Do you know it? Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very so, you famous. know, it's very artsy, mm-hmm. very tree, tree line, very, very chic, Berkeley. And, um, and I had this cafe and I can't think of, say I called it Molly's. I don't think that was the name of it, but had this cafe that was so cool. Everybody went there. There was this long line. There is a long, actually there is a cafe on fourth street, which I was modeling after, but it wasn't called Molly's and it was called, it was called something else. But anyway, so this woman writes me. And so I have the scene taking place at Molly's and she writes me to say, uh, Miss James, she goes, I went to fourth street and Berkeley, my daughter and I, she came from Colorado. We were visiting and we went and we did not see that cafe. <laughs> I said, that's right. Yeah. Cause it's called fiction. <laughs> um, so, but I like using the Bay area because people do relate to places. And uh, if you know anything about this is definitely an insider joke, but usually the university of uh, Cal state Hayward, is a Cal State University at Hayward. Mm-hmm. Now they call it Cal State East Bay or something. But everybody who ever went there and everybody who ever lives in the Bay Area never uses Cal State East Bay, except if it's like Frisco. It immediately identifies you as an out of town. Yes. No one ever <laughs> calls it that. And so I deliberately use the old, you know, Cal State University at, San, at Hayward. And everybody goes, oh, yes. She's one of us. You know, she, they knew the book was authentic because I knew enough not to call it Cal State East Bay. <laughs> I am an admitted fan, friends, of R. Franklin James. I do highly recommend any of her seven books. Ray, if there's one that somebody should start with to get to know you, which one would you recommend? Wow. Um, well, The Inheritance is the first book in a new series, and The Fallen Angels Book Club is the first book in the Hollis Morgan um, the Fallen Angels is always like your first child. It's like, oh, I was listening, eavesdropping. Uh, and there was this um, guy whose son was had a DUI. And he, and I guess the father was prominent boy, I don't know, some kind of businessman. And he was trying to figure out how did, he, before that, California has since um, uh, adopted a um, a law that allows you to not have to put, I have a conviction on my record. But at that time, that law had not passed. And his son was getting barred from a lot of good jobs because he had this conviction. And so I had this idea about, because this I do not know any of these people, but anyway, uh, if I had a, ex-felons, white-collar ex-felons like to read, they could like to read and they could get together and they would have in common their past. They, you know, of course you wouldn't be very open. I mean, you would not, you may not want anybody to know why you were convicted, but you would, you know, you come together because you're coming back into society. You're trying to get your act together again. Cause usually white collar ex felons are mild mannered people in general, except if they're killers. And then, um, and they form this book club and everything is sort of tootling along until one of them 
dies, just like the novel in a in a book that they were reading. And and then you have the police say, "Hello, oh, hooray! Everybody's here at the table." So um, my protagonist has got to clear her name because she's trying to go to law school. And then, as is now, you can't get to law school if you have a conviction. So she was looking to get a a, a, a what you call it from the judge, a pardon. And anyway, that's the first book, and that's the premise for the first book, and and how trusting. And an and, and amateur sleuth, you know, that flaw that you look for, the flaw that you want to have your character, you want your character to have is that they're, they're not quite what they appear to be, or there's something that stops them from getting to where they're going, to their goal. And for um, Hollis, it was her lack of trust. She And her lack of trust would get her into more trouble because she never accepted anybody for what they were, what they said, and she had this big wall built up. For Joanna in the inheritance, it's her triggers, her her PTSD, you know, that triggers her and holds her back until you know until she deals with her her situation. And so, um, different characters, totally different, different premises, different storylines, but we're all flawed in some way. And some to a greater or lesser degree. The last question I ask all my guests, Ray, is this. If you could go back in time and give advice to your 16-year-old self in that Catholic school, what would you tell that young woman? <laughs> I would tell that person to just hang in there. You know, it'll, it'll be okay. And to believe in yourself. That uh, it's so easy to listen to other people and get distracted from your path. Just stay on the path. It'll be okay. Rfranklinjames.com. Inheritance is the new one. Go buy it. You'll love it. Ray James has been our guest. Thank you so much for being on the program today, Ray. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Terry. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Authors on the Air can be found on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. We invite you to explore the many other podcasts that focus on the craft aggregated at the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Our theme music was written by Pablo Butorin. I'm Terry Shepard, and I'll see you in the next chapter.